We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity, a podcast celebrating generosity at work. Not financial giving, giving valuable time, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. I am so excited to share the special guest today, Shane Portfolio. You are someone who I have always admired for many reasons, one of which is that you are always a champion of diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Like, since I've known you, and we're, that's going back at least 15 years. So this is not a new thing for you, and I wanted to be able to get your perspective as a white male executive who has, you know, lived this life of trying to find a way to make things work for everyone. But then you were also a 14-year veteran of the United States Army. I mean, unbelievable. And then you went through a lot of leadership development courses with them and you were a tune leader. And then like a lot of education, um, including your current endeavor, which is to get a PhD in diversity and inclusion in technology. And uh, I'm just blown away by the ways in which you find a way to make a difference. Thank you for joining us, Shane. You're welcome, Shannon. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. What are some of your early memories of why it matters to be inclusive? Yeah, thank you. So it, it is something that uh, started at really young age. Uh, I was in a um, situation, it was just my mother and I in a single single um, parent household and um, in a very poverty stricken community, one that almost 50% of the um, residents have, had English as a second language. Um, we didn't have running water or electricity until I was in third grade. And so I was um, immersed into an incredibly diverse community from the very beginning. That was uh, really influential in who I became because as a child, I was able to be raised with the closest friends of different um, ethnic backgrounds and different experiences. And, and it was interesting how when you don't have much, what creativity you come up with to enjoy each other's company and, and make sure that you, um, care for one another. Yeah. So, you know, my parents, my mom, particularly, they were, they were a bunch of hippies. Mm -hmm. So they were, um, they always cared more about how you treated people than they did about social status or material possessions or anything. And so the foundation of that, um, started there. Yeah. And so I've always cared about people with a sense of community because of how I was raised. And then, like you said, the military that, so <laughs> I disappointed my hippie family by being, I rebelled against rebellion. I didn't do drugs or alcohol. It was short haircut, went to the military. They were so disappointed. Um, but <laughs> in all sincerity, that was a whole nother level, right? Because when I showed up, um, to basic training, yeah. you essentially, you get on without exaggeration, get on a cattle car with a hundred different people you've never met before. And they just throw you in this thing. There's no place to sit. Like you're barely holding on and they're driving you to the destination where they all kick you out of the cattle car. And you get in formation and you get 
um, yelled at and all this other stuff. And you're sitting there and you're seeing a very diverse community come together. Yeah. And you're seeing people that literally um, had grown up in either really rural communities and therefore hadn't seen anybody of a different color mm-hmm. and people that grew up in urban environments where that's all they knew. Mm-hmm. And so the dynamic of um, seeing that through the lens of what they were going through was, was a fascinating thing. And so one of the stories that I share a lot is our first day they were, we were there, we went to the chow hall to get food. And as we sat down, you could see that the African-American soldiers were sitting together, the Caucasian soldiers were sitting together, the Hispanic soldiers were sitting together. Yeah. And our drill, drill sergeant came in and tipped over all of our plates Told, him, told us, we're not eating today. You need to go outside because this is not acceptable to them. And they said, if you want to eat again while you're with us, you will not sit down unless you have somebody at the same table you're at of a different color. Uh. And it was so fascinating to me um, how intentional they were about it. Mm-hmm. And it really resonated with me that this requires intentionality. Like this isn't something that people are going to do because it's a nice to do thing or something that just happens. You have to really be incredibly intentional about it. And as they did that and the intentionality of them holding us accountable to doing that, you could see that the community came together and we became stronger. And it was interesting because the drill sergeants and drill instructors job is for everybody to hate them. Right. And for all of us to get together and they're the ones that we collectively. Yeah, dislike. the common enemy. Exactly. And they just do such a great job. The military just does such a great job of making that happen. Because then once people work through all those initial couple of weeks that were really uncomfortable, yeah. and we kind of had this common objective of, of kind of um, being together as a team, mm-hmm. it was amazing to see what, what we were able to do. So those two things happening all before... I was 18 years old, um, was, was really the foundation of kind of where I came from and why it's so important to me. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing that Shane. Really helpful context. So how do you draw the parallels between that intentionality of those leaders in the army and leaders across America and worldwide? Um, so just like, where do you see the parallels? Yeah, yeah there's a lot of them. Um, First and foremost, uh, we have to be really intentional about what we do. As leaders in particular, it's our responsibility to hold our teams and our people and ourselves Mm -hmm. uh, accountable. Um, As leaders, people are watching you all the time. And the echo and the what I call the shadow that you cast is very significant. And if you're not genuinely committed to doing the right thing in terms of how you're building a culture that makes everybody feel like they're respected and included that has a downstream effect that could be significantly detrimental to, to a culture and to a company. And so you have to start by holding yourself accountable and the behaviors and the, and the actions that you take. Mm. So that's really important. And then you need to make sure that you hold your leadership team accountable. Um, And what I learned early on was, when you are in a responsibility of a very large organization, mm-hmm. 
you really have the responsibility of making sure that you have a direct connection and a relationship with what I consider kind of two levels below you. Mm -hmm. And I need to make sure I have a personal relationship with them, that they understand this, this is what we stand for. This is what our culture is. This is how we intend to operate within it. And then it's my expectation that they do the same um, with their leaders. Yeah. And the cascading from, from myself to the frontline leader, which I think is the most important in terms of the impact it has on people because they're the ones that interact with the mm. teams more than anybody else can take place. And so right. that's an area I think is really important is to check in and make sure you're make sure that that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if you do it to the degree that you're trying to do it all yourself, you'll fall short. So you really just have to be really clear about who you're looking to lead and then make sure that they do the same and the cascade effect happen. Yeah. So can we just double down on that a little bit? When you get to the understanding of where you, you said like some cultures are, you know, in need of more intentionality than others, some have more sophisticated like process, values, mission, you know, clarity of purpose than others. So let's just say, you know, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm in an organization that does not have really anything. I mean, maybe they made a post or two since George Floyd's murder, but, you know, have they really like taken a stand on this? Like what, wh where's the starting place? Yeah. So it's a, it's complicated. Um, what I've seen is that leaders who typically had not made this a priority um, are generally trying to make it a priority now. What that's creating is a condition where people aren't convinced that they're genuine about it. Mm -hmm. and they're thinking that it's being done because it's the you know the thing that's in the spotlight right now and this is going to be something that happens for a short period of time and there's a lack of trust that it's a sustainable part of a culture mm -hmm. but at the same time as they start their own journey and they come to people like myself that they've seen make this a priority for a while mm -hmm. the last thing I want to do is discourage them from doing that what I keep encouraging people is um, don't try to come out of the gate at a hundred mile an hour because then people are going to interpret that as disingenuous. What you should do is really be thoughtful about what you're going to do over a very long period of time and commit to it being something that you're going to integrate into the fiber of the culture. Mm -hmm. This isn't a project that has a beginning and an end date. This is something that will be something that will continue to be an important topic for as long as we are in um, any culture. And if people realize that that's the intention, that you're looking to do this for the long term, then people are more willing to open up to you. Mm -hmm. The second thing you need to do is as a leader that may not have a lot of experience or education or background or have immersed themselves into this type of subject before. And what I've been encouraging people to do is just listen. Mm right? Don't talk as much. You have two ears and you have one mouth. I don't think that design was by accident. And I think when people see that you're genuinely listening and just genuinely paying attention to what they're going through and how it impacts them over time, that will start to begin a journey of trust that you can build on. What you have to be really careful about is that if you get to a place where the trust starts to occur and then you don't sustain it, that'll end up being worse than if you didn't do anything in the first place. So like what would be an example of a long-term play or a long-term strategy that some leaders could consider 
when they're aiming to make this intentional commitment? Yeah, so one recommendation I have is um, establish listening sessions Mm -hmm. and make them, you know, not something that's just for the next two, three weeks. Like this is going to be just like a staff meeting is an expectation in many organizations that Mm -hmm. every week I'm going to meet with my leadership team and we're going to talk about whatever's hot in the business. Mm-hmm. You need to have this become one of those. It is a high priority. You don't miss it. And you show up as the leader every time. And you do that over a very long period of time. And that just becomes an expectation of the culture. What, what do you recommend is the kind of format? Or is it just an open discussion? I, I think for the um, early stages of it, it should be an open discussion. Mm-hmm. Because what that will do, I believe, is show the genuine desire you have to listen. If you come to those meetings with your own design and your own communication and you end up dominating the meeting, it end up, ends up not creating the connection that you want to create. Because the first couple that I've seen and I've, I've witnessed these, people aren't really open to talking. There may be one or two people that are courageous enough to say something, mm-hmm. but the general population is still just trying to see, are you being really serious about this or not? And they begin to become more interactive and they start to really share things. And they also, there's two other things that happen. One is as the leader, if you say something uncomfortable and and it's controversial in terms of the way that people would talk about this in the past, what I've seen is that people actually appreciate that because you're showing some sense of vulnerability. You're showing, you're you're not just staying at a hundred thousand foot. You're really getting into the discussion. And I think people really appreciate a leader who's capable of showing some vulnerability in this area, even if it's as vulnerable as saying, look, this is a new thing for me. I really haven't focused in this area. I intend to start making it a priority. Can you please help me? Mm-hmm. I think people will appreciate that more than people who come in pretending as if this is a subject matter that they are an expert at and they come off as disingenuous. The second thing that happens is as people become more comfortable with you talking about it, they start reaching out to you to help you and they start to help shape the design and the communication of what we talk about. But it takes some time to get there. And if people um, show the patience, they think that it'll end up paying off. When we come back, Shane will teach us about the one big thing. If you had more time in your day, what would you do with it? Listening to podcasts might not be the first thing you think of. Maybe that's because you're thinking podcasts take too much time to listen to. But what if there were podcasts designed with your time in mind? Podcasts that spoke to you. Podcasts that you could listen to in short segments. We've put together podcasts exactly like that. The Quad Pod Network is coming soon. Check out QODPOD.com for more details. And we're back with more from Shane Portfolio. And what's interesting to me is the word of mouth that happens Mm. around, um, hey, that organization over there, they're doing something that seems to be genuine around this. That's very attractive to me. I want to be a part of that culture. You know, that's success to me. Yeah. They really encourage their welcome, their 
invited to be who they are, right? That's You're right. celebrating them as they are. You're not trying to change them. You're actually trying to change yourself. So That's right. uh, the uh, inverse of what some mentoring or, you know, coaching engagements are like, you know, you're the one who's seeking to learn and grow so that you can help to lead the change with their help, of course. So I want to talk about the competitive advantage of this in a minute, but I think it's um, important for us to address what are some of the challenges in being an ally at the level that you are? What I've seen is that regardless of gender, regardless of color, regardless of background, people like to be led. And they like to get feedback. And what I've seen is a lack of courage of giving constructive feedback to diverse people just because they feel like doing that could create some sense of um, uncomfortable feelings or, or feeling as if it's not good and, and therefore they stay at a 10,000-foot view in terms of their communication. And that's not okay. Everybody deserves very direct, very detailed feedback on areas that they can improve, everyone. Then you become well-known as somebody who's willing to do that in a way where they know it's always positive intention, it's always looking out for them, it's always in service of bettering them. Mm-hmm. And it's that courageousness of going one, two, three steps a little bit deeper in terms of the specificity of what you're asking and suggesting that they do. Mm-hmm. People want that. They, they want that level of feedback. And especially when they know it's coming from a place of looking out for their best interests. And about three years ago, I read a book called One Big Thing. And One Big Thing it illustrated that if there is a particular skill set that you have, you should really try to spend as much of time, if 40, 50% of your time in that area. Yeah. And so my assistant and I carve out almost 40% of my time to mentoring other people. What it has created is people are aware how important it is to me, yeah. but it also creates where my direct reports are doing things that typically my peers are going to. So for example, if my leader has a meeting, mm-hmm. I'm going to be in a mentoring session and I'm going to send one of my direct reports instead. And it actually creates a condition of empowerment and trust within your team so you get the best of both worlds you get to do what you enjoy doing and what you feel you're really good at and you get to create a culture that people enjoy being a part of because they're getting access to things that typically their colleagues aren't and you just have to have the courageousness and the self-confidence that that's not going to negatively affect you you know it really ends up working out like when you just said 40% of your calendar is allocated to mentoring and that you like really prioritize this. I'm also thinking about um, how challenging it is to convince others who don't think that this is the best use of your time, even if it is that one big thing for you and you know that this is, you know, part of the reason why you exist, you know, how do you um, make this important to other people or at least have them respect why it's important to you? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. It's a, that's a good question. Uh, you have to be really clear with what I call the 360, right? So your leadership, your peers, and your team, that this is who you are. This is how you're going to represent yourself. And so they aren't offended or aren't taken back when you're not doing something that they expected you to because you set those expectations up front. And I think it's important that that's something that you do right away. You obviously need to make sure 
that you're sensitive to the demands of your job. So that's got to be something that you that you uh, you don't neglect. But then once all of that's in place, then it really is up to you to figure out how do you fill in the gaps. That's kind of where um, I always try to find time to to make this a priority. Yeah, so. that helps. And then for those who are struggling with, you know, I don't really want to have these listening sessions because I don't know what I can do. Like I, I can understand and I could listen and I can, you know, demonstrate my willingness to be a part of it. But when I discover all of these, you know, systemic racist challenges that we have that I personally don't think I can change. Yeah. So, um, so first of all, there's strength in numbers. And my confidence level is pretty high that the themes that come to the attention of leadership are going to be pretty similar. Mm-hmm. And we need to work together as a leadership team. They may not be able to, as an individual, be able to do that. But if they, myself and three other colleagues, all have the same themes that are coming from our organization around where we need to prioritize time, mm-hmm. and we come together and we bring that to our most senior level leaders, there's power in that. And so I think the first thing is you're not in this alone, yeah. that we're in this together. And then the second thing is you have to ask them, what do you want your culture to be? Mm. Like, what are, what's really important to you? What is your priorities? What is the, almost the brand that your team wants to be known for? Yeah. And what I've done in the past is bring my team in and spend all day starting with 500 words that all mean something to us. And then we would go from 500 to 250 and then mm. 250 to 100, 100 to 50, all the way down to what are the five words that are the most important words that represent who we want to be and and then how do we start communicating on a consistent basis this is what we stand for here's what we want to make sure our culture is known for that's part of the intentionality that that i talked about those are those are probably the two things i would do is make sure they're not feeling alone yeah and make sure that we go through the exercise of them understanding their priorities and what do they want their team to be known for. On the long list of things I respect and appreciate about you is this level of commitment to doing this type of work. Because even the exercise you talked about is inclusive. It's not you saying, here's what we stand for. Here's what I've decided is the way in which we're going to do things. And by you saying that, you know, we're going to to do this together, make sure that your peers don't feel like they're on an island so that everything is so in in sync, like purposeful That's right. going forward. And I also love how it demonstrates the flip of, you know, sometimes people think that the thing that matters most is your technical skill or your intelligence. And what I'm hearing you say is like, yeah, that's kind of like a a given or like that's how you get the job. But then what matters most as a leader is how you make people feel and how you bring out the best in them and how you make sure that you're all aligned on a mission together so that you all, you know, walking purposefully in the same direction. I think that's a good segue to the competitive advantage of diversity and inclusion like it's not just the right thing to do, but it is also statistically a competitive advantage. And you as an extreme athlete, you are someone who is in it to win it. For me, I want to win. And I want a culture that wins. I want a team that wins. And so what I really have always studied is 
how do leaders get the best out of their teams? How do people build world-class organizations? And the more I studied about that, the more I realized that there is a high degree of correlation to having a diverse organization to having a world-class organization. And so that really piqued my interest in terms of here's something I really want to study then because I really want to understand how and why is that the case? And what do I need to do as a leader to make, make sure that I build that? Because that's the team I want to have. The more senior leaders that are uh, people of color or women, the more inclusive you are in terms of making sure people feel like they have a voice, the more respectful you are of everybody, of uh, making sure everyone feels as if they can be their authentic self, um, the greater the chance of having a world-class organization. And so most of my studies is still around how do I build a team that differentiates itself in a way where people just want to be a part of it. And, you know, in every turn, as you mentioned earlier, the competitive advantage you get when people feel like they can be their authentic self. In fact, the exercise I talked about, the word that meant the most to everybody at the end of that day yeah. was safety, that people just feel safe being a part of the culture they're in. Sure. Um, and with the current pandemic and the current economic environment and the current um, increased awareness of all the injustice that's happening, mm -hmm. it's even more important now than I think it was previously. If you can get people to be psychologically safe, that they can be themselves. Sure. It's amazing what, what they can bring to the table. And then the, the last thing is be intentional about making sure that the person that, um, is in a leadership responsibility, we have a greater level of diversity in those positions. And I think that goes back to a point you made earlier, Shane, which is about providing feedback, coaching, development, investing in your talent, you know, looking at the bench with the succession plan and the long game in mind, but also with that, like you use the word courage when you talked about that. And I think that's really important for leaders to hear that it's an investment of your time, your energy, it requires courage. And it also requires that intentionality of noticing what that talent is doing or not doing or, you know, ways that you would help direct them to round out their skill set or to be eligible for that next level. That's right. I, I applaud the people that take the courage to take on that responsibility because um, I'm sure that that's not easy for them. And so my responsibility is to try to make sure that they realize I'm, I'm there for them as they go through that experience. Yeah, yeah all in. Ah, well, thank you, Shane. You're welcome. Thank you. Everybody, a, a little bit of uh, that, what goes on in that awesome brain of yours, <laughs> and how we can be more effective leaders and really um, make our organizations a place where everybody belongs. Well, I appreciated the opportunity, Shannon. Thank you very much. Our OG takeaway tip, how we can apply what we've learned in our own work and lives. Shane shared so many incredible words of wisdom. He reminds us that everyone wants to matter, make a difference, and belong. We are reminded to listen, be courageous, give feedback, and seek to lead high-performance teams. We're designed with two ears and one mouth for a reason. It's important to listen, actively listen, to what others are saying to understand, learn, grow, and support. One of the most powerful things Shane shared is to find your one big thing. For Shane, it's feedback, mentorship, and allyship. 
He invests 40 to 50% of his time empowering and investing in others. It's important to recognize that Shane is a senior vice president of field operations engineering for Comcast Cable. He's a husband, father, extreme sports athlete, volunteer, and is pursuing his PhD in organizational leadership. So it's not like he has time. He prioritizes his time to focus on the one big thing. What's your one big thing? Where would you, your team, and your organization benefit most for you to spend 40 to 50% of your time? Generous leadership means that we all have a seat at the table. We re-slice the pie to make sure there's enough for all, and as leaders, we eat last. Inclusive environments are essential to enable the true potential in each person. Imagine feeling like you were welcomed, invited, and encouraged to bring your full, authentic self to work every day. How could that enable your productivity, engagement, and loyalty? How enthusiastic would you be to encourage others to work there? What would you be willing to do for the benefit of that organization and leader? For most of us, we'd be really productive, enthusiastic, encouraging others to seek employment there and do whatever it takes. To have the competitive advantage, we must build teams and demonstrate leadership that's authentic, inclusive, focused on strengths and safe. Psychologically, physically, and emotionally safe. Please invest in generosity and reap the rewards. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.